Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. I'd like to welcome everybody back to another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And we're going to have a really interesting conversation today about the Nebraska teacher and principal performance standards and kind of where that work currently stands, where it's going next. Uh, and I'm really grateful to Kim Snyder, to Julie Downing, and to Ryan Rickenbaugh uh, for joining us on the pod today so we can get a, a little glimpse of some things that are we can anticipate coming up here from NDE. And there's just a lot of stakeholders in this, which is a great opportunity for us to establish some communication on the front end of things. Um, but before we get into talking details, let's go ahead and maybe get a better understanding of the folks that are in the room for those that are listening in. And so Kim Snyder, would you mind uh, giving us a little bit of background with regards to your role in education and a little bit maybe even in relation to this project? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Andrew. I'm Kim Snyder, and I'm the Director of Statewide Teacher and Principal Support. I actually fall within the Office of Coordinated School and District Support at the Department of Education. So I've been in this role for a few years now. And my work, which I absolutely love, is to support the work around educator effectiveness in Nebraska. It's work that's been going on for several years, and I just was fortunate enough to be able to be put in that position to continue on the good work that Nebraska districts have been doing. And uh, definitely see that yeah, playing out in this uh, initiative here in collaboration with Julie Downing. So Julie, do you want to kind of give us your background? Second time on the pod, by the way, we need to say, welcome back. Thanks. Um, so I'm Julie Downing. I actually share a contract with NDE and ESU 13. So part of my time, I'm a professional learning specialist with ESU 13 and work with the 21 schools, public schools out here in the Panhandle. And the rest of my contract I spend on this team with Ryan and Kim working on educator effectiveness and implementation of these standards and really trying to shift and change the system for, for the better for education. Awesome. And uh, the third member of our conversation today, uh, Ryan Rickenbaugh, who is uh, part of the Nebraska Leadership and Learning Network as a specialist there. Ryan, you want to give us a little bit of your background? Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for the, the opportunity to be on the, on the podcast. Heard a lot of great things about it. Yeah, I'm new to NDE as of June of this year, working with Kim, as you said, as the Nebraska Leadership and Learning Network Specialist really focusing on supporting principals uh, across the state from the leadership perspective and excited to talk about some of the things that we that we're going to share here and how that how that interweaves with principal leadership and effectiveness it's been been a great few months working with Kim and working at the Department of Education and the the role that I play is really kind of a dream come true what I've learned as a principal I served uh, at Waverly for 12 years as the high school principal and lots of learning through that process and the opportunity now to kind of help help us live out what these standards uh, state and what they're about. And it's been a great process so far. I look forward to talking more about them. And let me just say that these two folks are just a dream to work with. They are Their expertise that they bring to the table is just phenomenal. And I'm so uh, lucky to have them on the team. Oh, and it's been a joy just in the pre-planning process for the podcast <laughs> to get a chance to hear and learn from the three of you. And so I'm really excited for what we're going to have the opportunity to share today. And uh, so, you know, Kim, I'll actually throw it back to you, if you don't mind, to kind of start things off. Frame for our audience here, really, the the work that's be, that has been done, uh, the work that you're currently invested in and what people uh, maybe set the table for what people can expect uh, to come out of that work. 
Sure. Thank you. Yeah, we were just talking before we started recording about how we're so acronym heavy all the time in our line of work. <laughs> no. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so I think probably the very first thing is I need to address a couple of acronyms. So uh, I hear a lot of people talking about the, the new Nebraska Teacher and Principal Performance Standards. And so that acronym is NTPPS. There's a lot of people that still know that document as NTPPF, as in Frank, because it used to be called a framework. But then with the revisions, the last word was changed to standards. So same document, just with some revisions to it. So it's the same document that's been guiding educator effectiveness for a lot of years in Nebraska and just have created some revisions. And then the word framework was changed at the end. So that's the first acronym. And then the the, the second acronym is SEED, S-E-E-D. And that stands for Supporting Educator Effectiveness Through Development. So that's a new one, I think, to folks since these standards have been revised. So the standards themselves, like I said, were something that have existed for several years in Nebraska. ESUs, higher ed districts have all been working with those standards. Districts have the opportunity to adopt those standards or that framework as their instructional model. I think a lot of districts did. Well, many districts did. But as with any type of instructional model, they need to keep up with the times, and it was determined that we needed to take it back to educators across the state and see what they thought and just make sure that it set the standard for what effective teachers and principals look like in Nebraska so that these teachers and principals that are in our districts can feel successful and that our students ultimately have access everywhere in the state to effective teachers and school leaders. So that's why revisions were made. Uh, but I, I really hope folks know that this is not new work. This is just an evolution of the work that's already started. The SEED acronym is new, however, because we, we've had a lot of conversations around teacher and principal evaluation. We know that teacher and principal evaluation exists in Nebraska, obviously, because it has to. But we wanted to make sure that these standards didn't focus just on teacher and principal evaluation. We wanted to make sure that these standards are a set of expectations that really show what is expected to be a quality teacher and principal in Nebraska, but they also serve as a common language, but they don't serve as a gotcha at the mm. end of the day. We want teacher and principal evaluation to be a part of this process, but we also want to make sure that there's uh, not just a focus on evaluation. So when you, when you see the acronym SEED, uh, we were very intentional in not including the, the word evaluation as one of the letter E's in that acronym. So it's definitely supporting educator effectiveness through development because it's the support and development of our teachers and our school leaders in Nebraska that is the most important. Obviously, evaluation has to exist. We understand that. Uh, and it serves an important part. But we believe through this SEED system, which is the system that will, will surround these standards, the standards serve as the foundation for this educator effectiveness system that is called SEED. So if, if you need a graphic, you'll see that the the standards themselves are the base 
And then seed is just the over the umbrella over the whole set of standards and serves as the system. But um, that's that's I think that's probably the most important point that I want to make is that support and development need to be the most important. And they are to us. So well, and I, I want to ask too, I guess, what you felt like was what are some of the factors at play in education now that we're responding to, right? You make revisions because there's feedback and there's things that are sort of occurring that you're going, we need to update. Um, and so what are maybe some of those those why factors yeah. that are have led to this at this time? Yeah. Great question. So there are two main shifts, I believe, that um, are reflected in the standards, and those are equity and database decision-making. And the why is we need to ensure statewide in every district that our students have access to effective educators, meaning their teachers and their principals, in, because that's what these standards are. Um, and and we, we can't determine effective education unless districts are looking at data and they're they're looking at that data so that they can see what is the best possible outcome for their students and for their staff members. And so those that's why those two areas have become a major focus of these revisions. Uh, it's great to hear that that's kind of at the core of things because I know that that equity conversation has certainly been increasingly prevalent, I think, over the course of the pandemic, uh, as yeah. uh, we're starting to look at everything from connectivity to just the, yeah, the, the instructional materials, et cetera. Uh, and so I'm going to kind of pivot maybe to Julie and ask, Julie Downing, tell us a little bit more about kind of that support and development piece here and, and uh, maybe extending what Kim sort of opened the conversation for uh, in terms of where this work is, is headed, maybe a little bit deeper dive. Yeah, so I think that's that's the what I bring to the team and the role that I play is really the support and development of teachers. Um, you know, Ryan has the experience with the, the principal role, and, and I really bring the teacher side of it. And I think as we've become a team and we've talked about this, the support is really kind of the student-facing things that we help teachers with. It's the work that we support teachers with uh, high-quality instructional materials and strategies and helping the schools and districts with instructional models and how to bring those to scale so that we are, like Kim talks about, serving students with effective educators and, and with equity. And I think development is really about the, the grown-ups. It's the development of the teacher as a professional. And that's been a lot of my work since I've come to the ESU. I was 15 years in a classroom as an elementary teacher and then came on board as a professional developer. And that work, and some of you have heard me say this before, it's about raising teachers. You know, it's raising teachers out of the college prep programs into systems as new teachers. It's it's raising distinguished teachers in the system to to leadership or to mentorship so that we don't raise R-A-Z-E, the teachers and the profession. So the development part is really kind of a shift that says, you know, we, we see you in the struggle in teaching maybe, um, but we want to hold you to greatness. And that teachers should have a voice in that and teachers should be driving some of that work for their own selves. So again, trying to make evaluation the, the smaller word and support and development the bigger focus. 
And, and I guess we should just throw this out. Don't think that, that we don't know that this is a, a major shift in, in how to look at, at this because we know that evaluation is a very large part. And we know that a lot of districts are incorporating their evaluation work into their um, instructional model work. And so, so we know that evaluation is being, is being used very well in a lot of districts and is really helping support and develop teachers. But we just wanna make sure that we're allowing for that ability in, a lot, in all districts so that our kids can have access to quality educators. And I think that this team, I mean, we kind of feel like this pandemic has been a gift because we've been able to take a minute and really dig deeply into what does this look like in Nebraska? And one of the things that we talk about a lot that I feel like I'm the one bringing it up a lot is the alignment of all the work in our state, the alignment of what's happening in our teacher prep programs. And, you know, I, my office is at Chadron State College's campus, so I have a really good um, relationship with those folks and a lens into what they do. The alignment of that to the alignment of what our teams are doing over there and multi-tiered systems of support, MTSS, what's happening in school improvement and continuous improvement in our state, what's happening with the assessment in our state and the curriculum in our state, all of those things should be aligned in this process. And I, I really don't like the word silos, but I think that's something that is has been a reality sometimes at the regulatory level that we are really, this team is really keen to align and find common cause for this work to serve our educators in a better way. Yeah, and I should have mentioned this earlier too, is that part of this seed process is that we are adamant and very committed to the fact that NDE, ESUs, higher education, and other organizations that exist to support districts are going to work together in this process so that they're not just one voice and then a couple of other little entities doing things, but we're, we're working with districts to make this successful across the state, but we're working together. And I think it's gonna be a shift, but it's an exciting shift and we're looking forward to it. I think that process uh, with including all different groups was actually in, in started with um, the work that Ryan is doing now through the principal leadership network that was in place last year already. So just focusing on making sure that all the entities that exist to support students in Nebraska have a voice. That's very important to us. I would definitely pivot to Ryan too at this time and um, just kind of ask what that has looked like, I guess, and how that work has fed into these conversations through uh, your leadership and perspective. Thanks, Andrew. You know, one thing I just want to piggyback on is Kim's reiteration of this is a shift. And I think it's important for listeners to understand that, you know, we're all kind of operating from our own experiences and the conversations that have taken place with educators across Nebraska for a long time. And we've all had uh, our experiences in education and we know where there are, where there are shortcomings and we know where, where things could be or where they could go. And that's a lot of our motivation is, is asking ourselves, why have those things happened? Why, maybe why hasn't education progressed the way that we all believe uh, it should be progressing? And for me, in, in my role, it's very personal due to the fact that I can relate to my own struggles as a principal, trying to lead change in a building where 99% of, of teachers wanted to make things move and to change and to, to progress yet we were never able to get there. And I, and 
I was very reflective in trying to identify as a leader, what am I doing wrong? What could be done differently? And eventually I landed up to the point where it's no fault of teachers. It's no fault of principals. Uh, it's even no fault of superintendents because the space for this type of development and growth and support just doesn't exist in education. It's not a lack of people wanting the right things. It's a lack of structure and system support and development to make these things happen. So just off the top, that's kind of where we are are working from and we are very considerate of there are pie in the sky ideas but is there a process to help schools and districts get there and that's that's where the support and development piece the high attention to to this support and development process is absolutely critical and specifically where my role comes in is just that development of principal leadership being able to understand what is it that we're trying to accomplish and looking at change or looking at development from a point of what do we believe about this? You know, what do we value when it comes to comes to our beliefs, comes to our focus on development or focus on changes? And what is the motivation? And if we can impact those things, we know that change can be sustainable. Change can be long term. Um, you know, taking the words of uh, Joel Killian from Learning Forward, talking about how transformational learning is long-term and results in behavioral change. And that is something that we are committed to. It's not just, hey, here's knowledge about this stuff. Here's the skills you need to do it. Let's go. There's so much more that has to happen prior to that. How do we approach changes in behavior? And that's a very emotional side of things. It's a There's a motivational side of those things. So those are all parts of this system that we are building in order to support and develop change and progress across the, the state of Nebraska. Uh, so one example of the NLLN's influence on an, on an initiative such as this or such that I'm talking about uh, would be through the, the ELLC, which is a national organization, the SL Leadership and Learning Community, and they are supporting a number of states across the country in trying to, to look at education differently, trying to approach things a little bit differently. And the ELLC of Nebraska, we have committed to a focus on supporting equity-driven leadership. And specifically, we are looking to create 100 equity-driven leaders throughout our state, whether it's, it could be aspiring principals, it could be current principals, looking at the current supports that are in place and how can we weave this idea of equity-driven leadership into these organizations in order to create this lens that everyone can can look through surrounding equity and then the ability to create a context around what that looks like. And what I want to say about equity is the word context is so critical because it is about a personal experience. It's about how you view it. And that can look much different than somebody in a, in a different city, in a different state, different demographics. Context is, is absolutely critical. So we are in the process of developing uh, an experience that will allow for that context to be created. And it is a highly emotional, uh, personal process that is going to have to exist. But awareness alone uh, and individual awareness is not, is not enough. So how do we help them apply that awareness into the current context of their work? So 
being able to connect their dots within what they currently do as a leader. There are so many things principals are leading. There are so many initiatives they're a part of, but we believe that if they can take their awareness of equity and connect the dots per se to all the things that they're currently doing, then that is going to allow them uh, or ensure that their system is responsive to equity and is responsive to the to what we know is important about equity rather than this being uh, an outside initiative because everybody knows equity is important but what does that look like in my district and what do i need to know in order to carry out this idea of ensuring equity is is at the forefront so that's an example of how we're trying to take this experience create context allow the context to to be personalized and then allow leaders to connect their own dots for an outcome that may look different in different places, but ultimately in the end, we can say we have equity as part of our lens as leaders. So I I wanted to just circle us back to the standards because Kim Kim did a beautiful job of reminding us that those are really the foundation of our work. And there's, there's a phrase that appears in a few places in those standards that's really the driver for some of the conversations and change that we're trying to move towards. And that's confronting institutional bias and student marginalization in our state. And I, I think, Andrew, you asked at the beginning, like, what are some circumstances in education right now that are kind of, you know, relevant to this work? Well, equity certainly was raised in March when we pivoted to emergency online learning. Um, and it continues to be an issue. And so I think we just want to build a system that does some things differently. You know, Kim talked about, we we want to be inclusive of the P20 system, the whole environment, educational environment. And we want to be inclusive of this idea of equity and data to really make our decisions as we move forward. And for a lot of people, and I've said this before too, that equity is kind of an itchy, scratchy conversation. And I I think that where I am with with my work on this team is if we're going to ask people to respond and be accountable to a standard that talks about confronting issues like that, we also have to be able to support teachers and principals with strategies and ways to do that so that when we have that opportunity, we know how to behave with each other, among each other, and do the right thing for our educators and our students. I agree completely, Julie, and I appreciate that you you added that part. I think the other thing that can't be emphasized enough is that the NDE is not doing this alone. You know, we're representing the NDE and ESU 13 as we uh, share our thoughts on our podcast today, but this is not something that NDE can do alone, nor is it something that NDE, ESUs, higher ed are going to do alone. This is something that has to be driven by our students and their needs across the state and our teachers and principals and their needs. So I think with the principal side of things, I believe that we've got a really great start through the work that the NLLN has been doing over the last year and really listening to principals and understanding their struggle. I think now with the global pandemic, I believe that teacher voice needs to be elevated and this process that we're involved in definitely needs to elevate teacher voice more. And I think also, I think it's important that we have to be transparent about the shift that we're talking about. I I keep going back to evaluation because I know I've had a lot of phone calls 
from districts and also from ESU folks who are working with districts who say, listen, we're at the point where we're ready to create an evaluation instrument. And we know you folks have made some changes at the NDE. So could you please give us a timeline when your, your statewide evaluation instrument is gonna be ready so we can adopt it and move on. And I've told them over and over, we are not at a point where we can develop an evaluation instrument. So Julie and Ryan and I understand evaluation and pre-pandemic, we would probably have a lot of expertise that we could bring to the table and develop pretty darn good evaluation instrument based on the one that already existed in the uh, work that has been done in Nebraska for many years. But with the pandemic, we need to take a step back and realize what does it look like to be an effective teacher and principal now? And we've, we've really had to step back, like Julie said, and take that opportunity to discuss that and figure out where we are. And we need to listen to teachers and we need to listen more to principals and ESU folks who are working with those districts and higher ed and, and decide what direction we wanna go. So what we've asked districts to do, we, we don't want people to hear me saying this today. We don't want people to step away from this podcast and say, oh, well, it sounds like, NDE is not anywhere close putting an evaluation instrument together. So we're just gonna put our stuff on hold and not talk about evaluation until they get theirs developed. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that if you're at that point in your district where you're ready to discuss evaluation, take a step back just like we have. And as teachers and principals and other school leaders have a conversation about what it means to be effective in the classroom and what it means to be an effective school leader today as compared to what it looked like a year ago. And what are those changes? And what also do folks need today to feel supported? And what do they need to develop and to elevate their practice? So I guess that's probably the most important thing that I want folks to know as far as what they can take from this conversation if they're at that point about evaluation. Kim, I just want to uh, reiterate when you talk about the shift, I think it's important and exactly what you said. NDE is no longer about trying to provide the answers or the, a, a checklist of things mm -hmm. to do that will get you in, in good standing or wherever that may be. You know, this is about building a system to help districts identify their own answers, help them identify questions and then we want to be there to help identify the right answers. Uh, and those answers can be significantly different from one school district to another. And that sounds great. I, th I think most people would, would say, hey, that's a, that's a great thing until you don't have the answers and until you don't have the checklist of things that you just want to get off your plate and be done with. So with that comes a lot more responsibility, comes a lot more commitment, but it is working I'd like to say that by the end of this, when this system is fully up and running, principals and teachers' lives become less complex, that we're not continuing to react. We're able to, to feel like we're ahead of things and we're able to anticipate and we're able to address uh, issues that we've dealt with forever, but look at them from a different lens. And this idea of equity, understanding equity, what implications does that have on evaluation? because I think there are some significant implications and that may change perspectives. It may change approaches, but we don't expect those to be the same across the state. We, they should not be the same if we are honoring context, but it's our job to create this system of support and development 
that can honor the context of individual districts to do what they need to do when it comes to evaluation, when it comes to supporting effectiveness, and then ultimately in the end, how are they supporting students to achieve? And I, I think, Ryan, you brought up a good point. We've not ever said the word innovation, even though you know there's been that theme of disruption and innovation out there. But really what Ryan's talking about is that innovation. We've had the disruption. We've had the pandemic. It's caused us to take a step back and reflect. So what is it that we can do to be innovative? And I, I listened to a group of teachers a few months ago, and they said, you know, we keep hearing that we need to be innovative, but we don't know what that looks like. And I think what Ryan is saying is that none of us know what it looks like. We are in a new space in education right now. We have standards to guide that as a common language. We have that across the state, but context matters for districts. So what, what looks like innovation in one district may not be effective innovation in another. So we actually have, I'm not sure if folks are aware, we tried to get the word out as best we could, but there is a, a grant opportunity through the NDE, it's the Educator Effectiveness Grant. It's been around for several years. Um, it's actually through the legislature and it's the solar and wind energy funding. But that grant is open now until, gosh, I wish I would have written the... Was yeah. it the 12th, Kim? What? I thought you said December 12th. I'll, I'll double check um, the application deadline, but that is to provide a little over $10,000 for five districts each. Uh, who could submit an idea about some innovative ideas they have around educator effectiveness. Caveat with that one, it has literally nothing to do with innovation around solar and wind. That's just the funding source. (laughs) (laughs) Because I get get that question sometimes from districts, like, what are we supposed to do about solar energy? Nothing. That's just the funding source that has been has been routed to uh, help educator effectiveness. So you don't have to do anything with solar and wind. You just have to help us innovate this process of um, support development and evaluation. But I do want to lead into also Julie's work with some professional development opportunities that she's putting together for our ESUs and the collaboration that that's included with higher ed. So so, so that is one of my favorite projects right now. And I actually talked about this on the Love and Learn the other day too. One of the pieces we absolutely have recognized is that we need to support our educators. As we're learning, we need to support them. So we um, have put together a team of folks and it's two staff developers like me. So Derek Gangwish and Kellen Conroy, and then a handful of folks from higher ed. So Sarah Scretta. Uh, Lauren Gotti from UNL and Adam Fetty from out here at CSC are helping design just some basic introductory materials to build familiarity and awareness of the new teacher principal standards. And so really what we're looking at is about 30, 45 minute introduction to the standards to just become aware of What are the general things that we expect to be in there and where are the shifts and what are the new pieces that we really need to pay attention to as we move into post-COVID education? So those folks have been working with me for about a month and we're hoping to have some things ready to launch here December, January. And they're also building into those some kind of flexibility for the educators to say, if you've got 30, 45 minutes, here's the intro, but here's some extensions that you can do if you have more time because we we kind of feel like once people see some of those shifts around institutional bias and student marginalization, they're going to want to talk some more about that. 
And then there are going to be some more phases of development. Once we get this introduction piece done, there's going to be a couple more rounds of this to really build out some of those equity pieces and some of the, you know, how does this work with instructional models? And so I think you can look for the first installment here pretty soon, but there's going to be additional installments as we get through spring and summer of this next year. Gosh, and as, as I listen to all this, it's just been really fascinating in my creative brain here, I guess. I've just been sort of thinking about the, the relationship between setting something like you're talking about here that was frameworks that became standards that is an updated version and, and almost setting that foundation and where that foundation is in respects to innovation and that this is just a natural part of the process, right? That you at some point in time come in and go, okay, we've learned enough to know that these things need to happen. And you set that foundation in place. And then uh, Julie mentioned silos a, a while back. I think that happens though. I think in silos, things start to grow and change and evolve. And you learn from some of those leaders in those respective places until you get to a place where you go, whoa, we know enough from these silos. We need to put a new foundation in place and then build from that spot to where you're going to go next. And sometimes you can anticipate in almost like a linear progression where you're going to go. And sometimes you head in a direction and you go, we might need to pivot a little bit. <laughs> and and it, it takes you in a direction that you maybe is related to, but didn't think you were necessarily going to head. And, and I love thinking about innovation and the process that that goes into that. And, and I loved in Ryan's comments from earlier too, that uh, th this thought of placing that ownership on the, the district itself and almost everything that Ryan was articulating at that point in time, I feel like you could apply to the classroom and talking about what a teacher can do to place students in at that role of responsibility over the process of their own learning. Uh, and so you're starting to see a fidelity in that vision, both from the, the district's ownership to the ownership of the student. And I love that that sort of is transcendent across these different levels in the conversation that I'm hearing here today. Uh, and, and so, yeah, and all that, I'm just excited. I'm excited to hear where this work is going and, and thinking about too, that this is a place as a result of the pandemic where we can establish that new foundation upon which that new normal that we're gonna enter into after this is really going to, to build off of. Uh, and it's an exciting time in the midst of a trying time, I, I think to be, moving in that work, uh, but uh, certainly timely in the sense that when, when that new normal hits, it sounds like this, this work is going to be well underway uh, in support of that new experience. I made up a new word for that. Disruptivate. <laughs> Disruptivate. I like that. I like that that thinking with things. So as we, uh, gosh, it is so crazy how 40 minutes almost can go so fast. Um, if we're going to bring this conversation to a close, what would you sort of say, or maybe some, uh, for each of us, maybe a parting message or something that people can anticipate looking to next? I guess, well, first of all, I have to say the uh, deadline for the Educator Effectiveness Grant is December 13th. So I want to make sure everybody knows that date. So thanks for letting me look that up. Um, the other thing that I would say is I want to say thank you across the board to the teachers and school leaders in Nebraska. The job that you are doing this year to take care of your students and your staff members and your students' families and your staff members' families and your own families is almost, it is impossible. And I want to just make sure that you are taking care of yourselves as you're taking care of others as well. 
also know that Ryan, Julie, and I are available if you need to contact us, if you have more questions about this. There's, there's a lot more that we could have said because we've had tons of conversations with tons of people across the state. So if you have questions, please make sure that you're, you're reaching out with those questions. And we actually hope to have more conversations like this if possible, so that um, you can hear more of what our, our thought processes are. But thank you so much to all the educators in Nebraska for what you're doing. Well, Kim, I want to follow that up by saying thank you to you uh, and to Julie Downing and to Ryan Rickenbaugh uh, for your time today and your ongoing work establishing, again, this, this foundation for us all to continue to grow in our respective roles in education uh, and for sharing this work. And so we hope to have you back on the pod in, uh, in upcoming episodes here as your work evolves. So look for those in the upcoming months. And thank you all for your time. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks.